0: So uh, this is Peter's transmission session, Uh, so um, everyone's going to be talking about transmission. This is uh, probably one of the most rare and one of the most important ceremonies that gets done in in Zen. Uh, uh, We do it sort of semi-traditionally. and uh, if it was really done, you know, uh, all down the line, it, it would be done not only at midnight as we do it, but they do it in a room, uh, a secret room, and they, and they put cloth over all the windows so that nobody could peek in and see what's going on. So it's like a real secret thing. So uh, I'm going to talk about Ananda's transmission Ananda was the third successor after Buddha. There was Buddha Mahakashapa and then Ananda. Uh, He was the Buddha's much younger cousin. Supposedly he was born on the night of Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, Ananda was reputed to be a very handsome man. I guess maybe an early... uh, Buddhist matinee idol. And uh, his name means uh, joy, pleasure, not because he was necessarily always so joyous, but because he was so handsome, everyone who saw him was joyous. Maybe not the other man, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so he was Buddha's attendant for 20 years. He was always with him. And uh, According to Buddhist tradition, he heard and he remembered every single syllable that came out of the Buddha's mouth. In fact, uh, he's reputed to remember even the talks that he couldn't possibly have heard because they were given before he was born. Uh, He is said to be able to recite them as well. He had some kind of mystic hyper link with, uh, with Buddha. Um, this of course is made up. Um, the early uh, Buddhist ancestors were very uh, very um, interested in having a, like a clear uh, uh, lineage path to make sure that everything was authentic. So if they didn't have one, they just made it up. Uh, this is uh, not only about uh, you know, the sermons the Buddha gave and so on, but uh, the lineage is that way, too. You know, If there were any blanks, they didn't know who was there. They just either took somebody who was actually living and stuck them in, or they made up somebody. Among the uh, many people that were not, we think probably didn't really exist is um, Bodhidharma. And lots of others as well. According to the writings, uh, the teachings that Ananda recited uh, are characterized as water poured from one cup to another without spilling a drop. Buddha is charged, uh, was, is said to have charged Ananda to pass on the teachings at the same time that he transmitted to Kashyapa. Despite all his mastery of the words of the teaching, Ananda did not receive transmission for many, many years. By the time he did, Buddha was dead, and he was transmitted to by Kashapa. Uh, the story of his transmission is told in two places: the uh, transmission of the lamp, and in the Mumin Khan, Case Twenty Two. Uh, slightly different versions, so I'll give you both of them. This is from Transmission of the Lamp. Ananda asked Kashapa, What did Buddha hand on to you besides the golden sleeved robe? Kashapa said, Ananda. Ananda said, Yes. Kashapa said, Take down the banner pole in front of the gate. Ananda was greatly enlightened. That's one version. The Khan has a slightly different one. More, uh, almost the same. Ananda asked Kaishapa in all earnestness, The World Honored One transmitted the brocade robe to you. What else did he transmit? Kaishapa called, Ananda! Ananda replied, Yes, Master. Kaishapa said, Knock down the flagpole at the gate. So, uh, this story is often told to to emphasize the point that uh, waking up is not a matter of knowing the words of the teaching. The transmission of the lamp emphasizes this point by saying that knowing the teachings without realization is like, quote, a poor man counting another's treasures without half a cent of his own. So all those thousands and thousands and ten thousands of words that the Buddha uttered and Ananda could not find his enlightenment in them and neither will you at the uh, Uh, At the Zendo in Philadelphia, we have quite a collection of Buddhist books. Uh, Gregor and I have been working lately to sort out a little order out of chaos there. And it's amazing, you know, uh, there are books about Zen and other religions. Uh, There are books uh, containing the sutras, uh, books about Zen from every possible point of view. And um, your realization is not there either. All those books are somebody else's realization, which they put down. It's not your realization. And when we when we look at waking up in that way and look for it in the words, we tend to make a thing out of it. We tend to see it as a specific set of beliefs and ideas, and um, it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger than you or me. But the point is not that knowing and understanding the teachings is bad. The point is it's not enough. Uh, Kazan, uh, who is the person who collected the transmission of the light, says this it is not that the heart, i.e., of the teachings, is not in the scriptural teachings, but that Ananda had not yet penetrated them. It's not that it's not there, but he did he hadn't gotten it. So Ananda is a good example of the point that. Intellectual understanding is not it. If even he, with his extensive understanding of everything the Buddha ever said, if he didn't get it, then there's no hope for any of us as a path to realization through words. So give it up. There are still students who get very heady and pedantic about practice But it really seems to me that um, in our culture uh, we mostly do the opposite. We allow ourselves to remain very ignorant. We often don't read or study. We only want to sit. We don't want the precepts either, especially too many rules. Mostly what we want to do is be entertained by dharma talks. (laughs) So this particular lesson from Ananda's life is perhaps not the most pertinent one to get from his story for us. Therefore, I'd like to go to another lesson that I think does apply to us very strongly. It is set forth in the very first line, of Ananda's exchange with Kaisapa. According to both versions of this story, the whole incident begins when Ananda asks Kaisapa a question. In the transmission of the lamp, he asks, what did Buddha hand on to you besides the golden-sleeved robe? In the Muminkan, he asks, the World Honor One transmitted the brocade rope to you. What else did he transmit? Uh, There there was a lot of detail about this robe in the transmission of the lamp. It's called brocade or golden sleeved. The transmission of the lamp claims that it was a mythical garment and it was passed on to uh, uh, Buddha from the past seven Buddhas. Uh, you know, the past seven Buddhas are these uh, Buddhas that said to have uh, existed before the historical Buddha. Another story says that Buddha's aunt and his subsequent stepmother, uh, Prajnapati, made the robe <coughs> excuse me, and gave it to him. So, though the robe appears to be mystical, there was actually a practice in which teachers uh, passed their robe on to their successors. You know, if you tour uh, monasteries uh, in China or Japan, sometimes you can see some of these robes on display. They're often treated as relics. Um, not, that the, not, not like the robe of Turin or something where you can get a miracle, but, you know, just venerated kind of. So these stories about the robe are kind of interesting, but they're not particularly relevant to modern practitioners. However, Ananda's question to Kaisapa is very relevant, I think. It reveals much about our own practice. Ananda's question shows that he regards realization as something he can get from somebody else. He still believes that someone can give it to him. He still believes that other people have it and he is missing something. He still believes that whatever it is he lacks is something secret, something mysterious. He's still longing for a truth outside his own life and practice. He regards his own experience as so obvious and ordinary that he's discounted it. He thinks it could not be the way to realization. So what about you? What do you believe? Test yourself about Ananda's beliefs. Are you still waiting for some magical special experience to enlighten you? Are you still feeling that there's something hidden? Something somehow withheld from you? Are you still waiting to be given the answers by someone else? Are you still comparing yourself unfavorably to others as a person who lacks something that they have? These beliefs and practices and about practice, are big stumbling blocks for many of us. Your practice will flower when you start thinking of yourself as complete, not needing anything other than what you already have. Barry always says you need to reach a point of basic all-rightness and not go around feeling you're a day late and a dollar short. We have to be able to say with Suzuki Roshi, I'm perfect just the way I am. And we have to understand in what sense we're perfect. And we have to understand that our perfection does not mean that we couldn't use a little improvement. At some point, I think all of us have sat on our cushions and wondered why we aren't having all those dramatic, wonderful enlightenment experiences related in so many Zen chronicles. Or if we are having them, we still wonder if our experiences are as authentic as other people's. Did I have Kensho and somebody else had Dai Kensho? (laughs) Am I merely enlightened and others have Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi? (laughs) Is my enlightenment bigger than yours or not? This way of thinking is toxic because it never ends. We have no access to other people's experience so we can't compare ourselves to them. No matter how deep and long your samadhi is, it's never permanent. And your experiences of oneness and realization are not even the most important thing about your practice. We really wake up, not when we get something, but when we let go, of our idea that we are missing something. The crux of practice is letting go. You give up the idea that someone else has something that you don't, that will make you whole. Ananda's story shows us that this kind of giving up is the very thing that led to his final, finally, to his realization. Kashapa skillfully pushed Ananda to disabuse him of his false ideas. First he called his name, Ananda. Ananda replied, yes, master. He was fully occupying the moment with no self-doubt. He was completely present. He was no one but himself. Ananda, what could be simpler or more complete? An ordinary moment. Then Kashyapa administers the coup de grace. He says, knock down the flagpole, Ananda. Kashyapa is declaring metaphorically that the teaching is over. Further instruction is not needed. Ananda Ananda already has what he needs. Kaisapa is saying, stop longing for something else, something extra. See what is and find it enough. Your awakening is not about your mystical experiences, your enlightenment story, however profound and vast they seem. At any rate, in this moment, they've disappeared. And how could any experience be more than partial? The scale and complexity of the universe and of our very lives means that there's too much we will never know. So why does Kaisapa cite taking down the flagpole to indicate completion? It seems that in ancient India, whenever two adepts met for a debate, they would plant each would plant their flag outside the debating place, and then the winner would uh, uh, knock down the pole of the other guy. And a partial this uh, this um, practice was partially adopted by. Uh, early Zen people, they would plant a flag in front of the monastery or the temple so that um, people would know there was going to be a talk. And when the talk was over, it would be taken down. So when Kaishapa tells Ananda, knock down the flagpole at the gate, he's confirming that Ananda needs nothing more. All he has to do is see what he already has. Kashapa is saying, do not remain mountains and rivers away from it. Make your practice personal and intimate. Look in the only place the answers can ever be found, in yourself, embedded in this very life. The sutra tells us when you walk away, it is not near, it is not far. How could it be located outside of you, near or far? It is you, you yourself. Take down the flagpole, Sangha.